Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm your host, Emma Thomas, and our guest this time is Skylar Liberty Rose. She's a writer and a coach who helps introvert women embrace their 40s and 50s with joy and confidence. Born in London, she moved to New York City when she was 40, and after reaching her mid-40s, she found herself feeling despondent about ageing and struggling with her appearance. It was this experience that prompted her to disentangle herself from the clutches of an anti-aging culture and enjoy a freedom she'd never before experienced. She now helps other women do the same through her Visible course and her You to Bloom membership. Welcome to the podcast, Skylar. Thank you so much, Emma. It is a joy to be here with you today. Do you do you prefer Skylar or Skylar Liberty? Or how do oh, you... yeah. No, Liberty is my middle name, okay. so Skylar is absolutely fine. And you you changed your, your birth name in your 30s, didn't I you? Did. One of your reinventions. Much to everyone's surprise <laughs> and my own. I I decided to do it because I got divorced in my, I was married in my early 20s. We separated um, in my early 20s, but it wasn't until my early 30s that we got divorced. And I knew that I didn't want to go back to my maiden name. That just did not feel like a fit for me mm. at all. So I decided to change my last name, which felt really wild and out there <laughs> from a very conventional, traditional family. This is not the kind of thing we do. <laughs> and I decided to just yeah, have a whole new last name. And as I was trying to figure out what that last name would be, I was kind of working with a coach who said to me, well, maybe you want to change your first name as well. And I said, oh, no, I absolutely not. Couldn't do <laughs> that. No, no, no. I like my first name. Exactly. And that planted the seed. And I think it was within a week I said to her, I, I want to do it. I absolutely want to do it. And, of course, everyone in my family, my friends were like, oh, dear, here she goes. Because this was quite out of character for me. Um, and I think that they thought I was still reeling from the divorce or just having some kind of meltdown. And it was the best decision that I've probably ever made for myself. And it sparked a whole chain of events that felt incredibly empowering and really symbolic of me. I was going to say taking back the reins of my life, but I actually want to say taking the reins for the first time. So... So yes, not my birth name, a chosen name, and it it just opened up so many opportunities for me because I started to recognize that I could reinvent myself and that I could make different choices and I didn't have to do the expected thing, which I had pretty much done all of my life up until then. Mm, it's almost like a sort of a, a marker in the ground for that agency it's like yeah because it's absolutely it's, it, it it's not something that people do very often is it it, it is a fairly drastic change I guess uh, I mean I, I guess a lot of people change their their surname for fairly obvious reasons but to to change your name right. completely is quite is something quite unusual and yeah did, did you did you feel very different in that sort of before and after was there a did you mark it with a ceremony <laughs> of some kind <laughs> I did and it's so funny that you say that because it was very awkward as well actually because I had just started a new job so I had started with my old name and I'd been there about three weeks 
and then decided that I was going to change my name. So I had to go to my bosses and say, oh, the person that you thought you'd employed, I'm not actually going to go by that name anymore. I'm going to go by this name. And I could see my manager's <laughs> eyes just kind of like, he was trying to hold it together, trying not to widen his eyes. And I just knew that they were thinking, oh, dear God, what is going what on here? <laughs> exactly. But I really did have this idea that I I got to become this new person. And I did, but I also put a lot of pressure on myself because in my eyes, once Skylar was born, she got to be really confident. She got to be successful. She got to be not an introvert. She got to be <laughs> extrovert and engaging and lively and never tired, never upset, never angry, never in a bad mood. I mean, come on now. <laughs> what a ridiculous expectation to put on anyone. And so although I was very energized by the idea of becoming this new person, allowing parts of me that I'd never really fully realized or even given myself permission to, to consider that I could be, I also pretty much came up with a, a fictional character <laughs> who just wasn't going to work in reality. So the first time that I... I felt like I messed up as this new person. I was really hard on myself. And then I it, I just went through a, a realization of, okay, I get to just be human and mess up like I always did. You know, uh, this might be a new beginning for me in many ways. And it was, but look, you, you don't just stop being human just because you change your name. You, you get tired. You have arguments with, mm. with friends and family, <laughs> you know, real life continues. But, um, but yeah, it's as I say, it was it was energizing and empowering, and I've never ever regretted it, not a single time. And I guess for many of us, uh, you know, it it feels a bit like midlife is a is an inflection point, an opportunity to to do a bit of rethinking, reinvention. Um, but that but that wasn't necessarily the only time that that you sort of reinvented yourself you you also completely left the UK to to move to the US and start over how was and, and obviously that was a, as Skylar your um current incarnation um ha, how was that and how did that come about well i was living in london lived in london pretty much all my life and i had a photography stand at Spitalfields Market just for a day at the weekend. They were doing um, this special photography takeover of Spitalfields. And I had a stand because I used to enjoy photography or still do as a hobby. And my now husband came to the stand and he's a photographer and we got chatting over my photos. We didn't go out on our first date until two years after we first met because I was actually dating somebody and then I was due to go on a six-month solo trip to India. But we kept in touch and then two years later, we had had a couple of messages going backwards and forwards and we decided to go out for a drink. We both nearly cancelled on that day because I hadn't slept <laughs> the night before. I was super, super tired and I think he was really busy. Anyway, long story short, out we went and went out on a few dates, but then he had to come back to the States. He was born in England, but grew up in New York City and was back in England when we met, but he had to come back to the States to live for family reasons. Um, his mum was very ill at the time. And I was like, well, I don't know 
how this is going to work because we've only been out on a few dates. I can't really say to him, well, what about me? (laughs) Do I get to come with you? We really didn't know how it would work out. So we started doing long distance. There wasn't FaceTime or we weren't really using Instagram in those days. This is, we got married 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. So we, yeah, started doing long distance and it it worked. We Skype each other and do flights backwards and forwards whenever we we could, whenever we saved up and could, you know, make the airfare. And then we decided to take the plunge, get married, and yeah, the rest is history. I've been here ever since. So it was a great move to make. So I actually I got to New York just before my 40th birthday and it felt very symbolic of this is a whole new chapter. I get to start 40 as a new person in a marriage that I'm very, very happy in, in a city that I absolutely loved. So yeah, it's, it's felt very energizing. Although I would say after 10 years and leaning more and more into my introvert self, now much as I love the city I'm like get me back into nature or just get me into nature because I've always lived in cities um and I love them as in they're very energizing and creatively inspiring but my goodness I I kind of just need to be around the trees right now and not all the people not all the people, <laughs> all, the people all the time uh you, do, yeah. you talk you talk quite a lot both on Instagram and, and on your blog about that sort of introversion and I think uh I flagged up when we were emailing uh, a blog post that you'd written about the the ways that midlife impacts introverts differently, which I I found really, really interesting because I think I'm an introvert, although probably people meeting me might think I'm an extrovert. So I'm not quite sure how that works. Um, but yeah, you, you sort of talk a bit about the fact that, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're almost being kind of pushed to, to get out there and like I said, sort of reinvent ourselves, not, not be silenced, not, not kind of cower in the shadows. Um, so I just thought that would be really interesting to unpack a bit more because I don't think it's something that, that we talk about a great deal. Um, yeah. And you know, I mean, you might, you might even be ambivert. I mean, there's a lot of people aren't, you know, necessarily fully introvert or fully extrovert. Some people are somewhere in between or different circumstances brings out different parts of their personality type or preference. I am a thousand percent an introvert, but I absolutely love connecting with mm. people. So depending on what setting people meet me in, they can be really surprised when they find out that, yeah, I'm, I'm a big introvert. But there is no real evidence to say that when it comes to midlife and this really transitional time that we experience, that introverts or extroverts have a better or worse experience. But as introverts, we we have certain tendencies, certain characteristics that we might need to honor in a different way. So I do say that many midlife spaces are really geared towards living out loud and you know, taking up lots of space as a pushback against sliding into invisibility. And that can be really overwhelming for those of us who identify as introvert. That's not necessarily what we want. The thought of being forced into the spotlight mm. doesn't sit well with right us. Right out of your comfort zone. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But there's absolutely a way for us to 
to expand our horizons, to really be present and feel fulfilled in our lives without doing that. And that's what I aim to do with the women I work with who are largely introverts, some ambivert. I don't think I'm working with anyone who's extrovert. You know, different different energies attract different people. And I think a lot of the women that, that end up working with me or being part of my community in some way do identify as at least a little bit introvert. Um, but yeah, I think it's at this stage of our lives, it's really important to honor where we are now, who we are now. And it's a time where we, we can break away from some of the, the restrictions, the boxes that we felt as though we've been put in by other people for maybe all of our lives up until this point. Because, you know, if you think about it, we, we're, we're raised, obviously, we go to school, we then begin either further education or jobs, and then we either continue along that line or we end up having families. I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing here. I know that there are other choices to, mm. to be made. But a lot of the time we, we move from role to role to role. And we are so, our identities are so wrapped up within those roles that sometimes we, we don't actually know who we are without them. And in midlife, I think that there's so much that's just blown out of the water. Um, you know, we, we get to there's a lot that's changing and our identities suddenly we, we are questioning, well, who am I? Who am I now? Who am I if I'm not a parent to young children? Who am I if my kids have moved out? Who am I if I don't have kids? Who am I if I decide to completely switch careers? Mm. There's so much happening. And I think that it's, it's a great time to reassess who we are and, and also to, to really honor who, who we are now and what we need now. And so, yeah, for introverts, we tend to need a lot of time to process, a lot of time to, to kind of take stock of situations. And we don't really get that in midlife because if we're going through perimenopause or menopause, everything is changing. So we've got all that change happening within our bodies, this external change often in our, our job, careers, family situations. So it's a time when we, we really need to really honor ourselves as much as possible and anchor down as much as possible. And I think for introverts especially, because we we can sometimes overthink things, we can spend a lot of time in isolation because we like to spend blocks of time alone. It's great for us to to connect with our people in the community. The single biggest thing that I've I've realized for myself is that I can't do all of this on my own. I can't do midlife on my own and I'm not meant to. I don't think any of us are meant to. And so cultivating community has made all the difference to me because I no longer feel as though it's just me in isolation trying to figure everything out. Yeah. And you can do that on your own terms and in your own time and, and space. Um, Absolutely. I think it I think it's Kate Codrington in in her book who describes it as a little bit like the, you know, the sort of chrysalis, the pupation stage of from caterpillar to butterfly that you kind of 
you know, <laughs> have to have that time to to kind of be closed off and let everything get a bit messy and <laughs> give it yes. give it that time before you can can then emerge. Um, and maybe not all of us are big sherry butterflies. Some of us are moths with with subtle <laughs> patination. <laughs> exactly, and that is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think any of us need to put any more pressure on ourselves to to be who we're not and. I used to do that. I used to look at other people and be like, oh, why can't you be more like that person? You know, look at her. She's she's out there doing her thing and in big groups and feeling so comfortable. And that's not me. And so I only recently in the last year or two actually started identifying publicly as introvert and actually weaving that into my website so other people know like, oh, this is who she is. And not feeling as though it was something that I had to be ashamed of or work on, that it's a, a failing or a flaw that I need to improve so I can be more extrovert and get out there and be more comfortable in, in big groups. You know, that's not something that works for me. So, and, and I think, you know, you were talking about the sort of, you know, expectations as well. You, you talk also at great length, both on social media and on your blog about the sort of, you know the the expectations placed on us in terms of the sort of you know uh aging uh and, and sort of keeping our um you know our looks our appeal or um you know it's almost like we've now got another thing to to add to our to-do list is right you know we've got to age yeah. gracefully and beautifully yeah. and we you know we're not allowed to kind of just go and quietly sit and do some knitting we've got to be uh, starting no, new oh, companies no. and uh, you know reinventing our our style and, and having flawless glowy skin I mean, it, it is a lot. How do we how do we untangle ourselves from from all of that, you know, expectation? It takes work. It does because we have been socialised since forever to believe that this is what's important. That whatever else we're experiencing in our lives as women, how we look while we're going through any of those experiences, is the ultimate thing. That that's what's important, and it's it's so pervasive and we're so used to it that we rarely even recognize it anymore it's just part and parcel of being a woman in this world and yeah when we get to our 40s and we start to notice visible changes visible signs of aging which is what I experienced I think I was about 44 when I really noticed it. It didn't happen overnight at 40, but by 44, I was like, oh, my skin is changing. I have sagging skin under my chin. I have sagging skin pretty much all over my body in different parts. It's it's a different body than it was when I was in my 20s and 30s, for sure. And I I remember catching sight of myself in a vanity mirror and the angle of the mirror and the angle of my chin, I saw this skin sagging and I was horrified, absolutely horrified. And I remember thinking, well, don't sit like that when you're with other people because then they'll see it. So let me figure out an angle that I can sit at so nobody sees Mm -hmm. this sagging skin on my face. And then in the next breath, I was like, oh no, you don't do, that's not who you are. Don't do that. And what I did instead, which is much more who I am, I took a picture highlighting it instead of hiding it. And I shared it on social media 
because I just had this moment of, no, I've done this for decades now. I've done, I've played the game. I've tried to do all the right things during my life in terms of what's expected of a woman. And how content do I feel with any of it? How fulfilled do I feel? And is this what I'm going to do now in my fifth decade or sixth decade or seventh decade or however long I'm lucky enough to live? I'm going to to look in the mirror and actually come up with some angles that I can sit or stand in front of other people so that they see me in my best light. I mean, <laughs> that's just exhausting and ridiculous. And once I realized that, I I was just able to to start the process of disentangling myself. And it's not easy. It's not that I wake up every day and see my my skin the way it is these days and feel great about it. I don't. I do have my insecurities for sure. And again, community has been a game changer. We need each other. We need to bolster one another and and not struggle through this whole culture of anti-aging, which is so linked to diet culture and all the other oppressive cultures <laughs> that we have just normalized in our world. Um, you know, we, we can't do it on our own. We, we really have to come together in community and recognize this is, this is not serving us. This is not what is in our best interests at this stage of life. And it never was, but we, we typically go along with it and feel that we have to, in order to get that societal approval that most of us seek, we have to meet these beauty standards that are all about us just spending countless money and pounds and dollars, euros, whatever, on trying to look a certain way. And I just, I don't want to succumb to it to the degree that I used to. Mm, and I guess Instagram is a bit of a double-edged sword on that, because on the one hand, we can be exposed to, you know, dozens and dozens of, you know, fantastic accounts where, you know, people like yourselves are sort of, you know, being totally unapologetic about who they are and, and, and very real and, you know, people who are, um, you know, talking about their journey to sort of growing out their greys or, or whatever, or sort of being fantastically stylish on there. But the flip side of it is then that we are perhaps also, you come comes back to that comparisonitis, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, I'm the same yeah. age as that person and I don't look that glamorous or like... <laughs> Yeah, we all have, I think, those moments. And I think it's really important to just accept them when they come or notice them when they come. But again, just when I changed my name and I had this idea that I'd become this perfect person and I found out very quickly that that wasn't going to happen. It's the same with disentangling ourselves from a culture of anti-aging. We're going to have moments where we do compare ourselves to other people, whether it's our, our hair, our bodies, our skin, our relationships, our, our homes, whatever. Mm. There's always something that we can compare. And I think, again, human nature, give yourself a moment to be human and then get curious. Just a gentle curiosity is all it takes. Oh, I wonder, wonder why that's important to me. Where did that thought come from? And just noticing these thought patterns and trying to interrupt them. We don't necessarily have to swoop in and do an instant reframe of everything. But once you start to recognize that 
this this is a culture that doesn't serve us it serves the beauty industry um and you know they're they're making their billions off of our insecurities so once you start to recognize that it does become easier to to step back from so even when you do have those moments of comparing yourself they're more fleeting and they're not as painful as perhaps they once were where i know i used to fixate on comparing myself to other people and what they had and i didn't and i don't do that to that degree anymore if i have a moment like that it's it's you know a brief and relatively painless <laughs> and do you think your experience last year of being diagnosed with uh, a brain tumor and, and sort of what you then went through as a result of that has that brought that I- into even more sort of sharp focus I always thought that it would you know I I always thought if something big happened in my life I would be able to really stop sweating the small stuff and I have to tell you, Emma, the exact opposite happened, at least originally, mm-hmm. like directly after the diagnosis I had. I'd been feeling sick for a number of months. I was being diagnosed with vertigo. Like people kept doing the Epley maneuver. I was getting medication for vertigo. Nothing was working. And then I got an MRI in January of last year, and sorry, February of last year, and they literally had to do a craniotomy within a week. So it all happened very, very quickly. Um, it was a benign brain tumor, but it it was causing some chaos in my head. And yeah, there was a lots of vomiting and just feeling dreadful. I had to sort of learn how to get around again with uh, a walker, a Zimmer frame. Um, so yeah, I, you would think, I would have thought that something like that happening I would just be able to let go of everything else and I didn't I I doubled down on all the things I wanted to control and I remember coming home from the hospital and my husband had put the towels on the towel rail in the bathroom what I considered to be the wrong way (laughs) and I had a meltdown about it I literally had a meltdown and I called him in I mean I couldn't even stand up I had this walking frame in the bathroom and I was like you know, you can't hang them like that. You can't hang them. This is, it has to be this way. It has, bless him and his literally limitless patience. He <laughs> put them the right way because he, he obviously did not understand. It wasn't about the towels. It, <laughs> it was absolutely not about the towels. And he just understood that, okay, this is what she needs to happen. And, and that's the kind of thing that was happening. I was, because everything I'd lost complete control of my body at that time in as much as you know this tumor was wreaking havoc and so it felt really important to me to control the things that I could and some that I couldn't um so it's been a journey in in letting go and recognizing that I can steer my life in the way that I want to and the, the, the direction that I hope it will go in. And I have to know, I have to be honest with myself and about the things that I can't, I can't control. And I think bringing it back to midlife again, there's so much pressure on us with us juggling so many things. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why do any of us want to control more than we need to? So 
it's it's a it's a process for me it's not something i am somebody who likes to be in control so it's a process but with regards to specifically the anti-aging stuff i am absolutely more appreciative of my body i think i have been for a number of years but especially now i refuse to be ashamed about anything on my body in my body i've you know, we've all if we're all here right now we've survived this pandemic that is still a pandemic mm. um many of us have survived a, a huge amount of loss and grief over the last couple of years alone you know really are we really going to to spend our precious lives going forward criticizing ourselves and feeling terrible about how we look as we're aging or how we're failing because we're not where we expected to be in life there's there's such a a ridiculous amount of pressure on all of us and so I I'm able to step away from that kind of stuff with more ease than I used to be able to Mm. I think even just on Friday I was out with a friend who doesn't do social media at all so there's no point me even tagging her or talking about it on social media but uh you know rightly called me out for for kind of criticizing my my sort of slightly rounder than I would like tummy uh and you know in in terms of what I was wearing and feeling self-conscious about it and um and I was really grateful to her because I was like well I wouldn't say those things in front of my daughter who is almost 10 um so why why would I say them about myself just because she's not there you know does and does it really matter and did it you know and actually you know apart from that fleeting moment of insecurity did it make any difference at all to the enjoyment I had of that evening absolutely bugger all exactly uh, so but yeah it is it, it is the you know it's it's the water we swim in and it's it's very very difficult to to get away from it because we have just had it drummed into us from all sides <laughs> since birth yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's not easy and again it's that's the power of kind of being in community with other people it doesn't have to be a huge group it can just be sometimes a conversation with one friend who brings you back to what's important and I think again we we need each other we need to bolster each other in these ways because we're not always that kind and compassionate towards ourselves I mean you wouldn't dream of saying that to somebody else but the dialogue that we have about our own bodies can be very very critical and I think something else that uh, that we share perhaps is is I've uh just newly started hrt hormone therapy and you're just about to start uh-huh. is that right you were talking about it um... listen the bell might ring while we're on this <laughs> podcast because my hormones are being delivered today and to say that i well it's um it's a vaginal insert so um yeah i was going to say to say that i'll be slapping it on um but it would actually be more of an insertion um immediately will <laughs> is an understatement because I cannot wait it's been a really rough ride with so many symptoms and I'm ready I've, I've been doing all the things the exercise the nutrition the mindfulness practices and anxiety for me has been through the roof and I'm just I'm very ready to to do what I can with hormone therapy to to support myself in that way as part of a, a holistic process, not just a, oh, let me just, you know, take HRT and it will be a magic cure. I don't know, but I I definitely am 
ready and willing to try. Mm. I think so many people don't um, don't realise that anxiety is incredibly common um, and, and you know really debilitating. And I think for for a lot of women as well it could well be the first time in their lives that they're experiencing that anxiety seemingly out of nowhere. And, and um, yeah, if you if yeah. you don't sort of join the dots and understand kind of where that's coming from, it can be really diff- difficult. So, yeah, I think, you know, everyone who's talking about it openly on social media, sharing their experience, you know, that's only a good thing and kind of help people understand perhaps what, what might be going on for them. Yeah, because there can be such a lot of stigma and shame about anything to do with our mental health still, even though we're typically more open about things these days. And so it has become really important to me to to talk specifically about it and not to feel as though that's somehow detrimental to me as a coach or somebody working with other women that, oh, I can't be trusted to help other people if I am dealing with my own mental health issues I I just don't want to ever present myself to anybody as this perfect person that's got their life completely together because that has never been my reality and I'm pretty sure it never will be but I I do have a lot of tools that I use I am able to to work through things in a way that I didn't used to be able to um, in my 30s or even when I turned 40 my very early 40s um so yeah I think it's it's important that especially as women we don't feel that we have to turn up in this state of perfection at all times whether it's how we look how we behave I am really having a hard time with anxiety at the moment and you know and I think it might have been you that and tell me if I'm wrong may have commented on an Instagram post, I think somebody else's Instagram post about ADHD. And I I think I said, oh, it's interesting that so many people are being diagnosed with ADHD in midlife. And I think it was you that said that you had had somebody on your podcast mm-hmm. that um, said that it's not necessarily that it's just happening. It's just that they've been able to master yeah. it well up until now. The coping strategies. Right. And, like and then suddenly that, yeah. it's that, it's that, it's that overwhelm, isn't it? And I, you know, you don't, you don't have to be somebody living with ADHD to have the overwhelm, but I think, you know, we're right. because ADHD shows up very differently kind of in a female body as opposed to a male one that, that, you know, girls and then young women and then older women are, are very good at masking and and kind of coping. Uh, and then suddenly they don't cope anymore because, you know, it just right. all becomes too much. And, and um, yeah, and then suddenly it, it kind of the, the kind of the cracks start to show and, and presumably also at the same time, if they do have children that are presenting with ADHD and getting them assessed, it's very common then for that sort of you know that light bulb moment and suddenly for them to think right ah okay that's why xyz and and to sort of get that realization that it's something that actually they've they've been living with their entire lives but but they've they've been able to sort of successfully cover it up if you like or just over overcompensate and it's that sort of inability to kind of keep papering over the cracks that suddenly kind of comes to the fore and and oh yeah I, I know 
a lot of women who have had that sort of late later life diagnosis um yeah and i'll pop a link it, it was kate murray Yusuf, and she's got a whole podcast actually that's dedicated to adhd and women's well-being which is rightly very popular um but yeah anyway that's, that's maybe a good good place to to start wrapping up and to say thank you so much for for sharing your story and i will make sure that we put links to your website and where to find you on social media so that people can if they're not already following you come and find you thank you is it anything in particular that you feel like you you wished somebody had told you before you kind of went into perimenopause what do you wish that you had known oh my god (laughs) so much but Honestly, I don't know what I would have been interested in hearing when I wasn't in perimenopause. I I feel as though we're not always ready to receive the information that we'll need until we're at the stage when we'll need it, <laughs> so when we actually need it. And I mean, I, my mum had a hysterectomy and was put into instant menopause when she was younger than me. Which of course, when mm, same I here, was actually. younger, yeah. uh, we're way <laughs> off. You know, so well, Mum's old. Like she wasn't old; she was in her <laughs> early forties. And I kind of had a vague understanding of HRT. She was on patches at the time, but I wasn't really interested in in finding out the detail or, or knowing any more about it. So there's a lot of things that I I needed to know, but that I I probably wasn't interested in knowing. But I do think that because of how we're talking differently about midlife, menopause, perimenopause, we are using technology in ways that we weren't before. Our mothers didn't have podcasts like Mm. yours to to help women. Telemedicine, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I do think that the conversation is is definitely increasing and broadening. And so with that, I think there will be stuff that will trickle down to the younger generation. So it might not be quite the shock that it has been for some (laughs) of us who have just arrived in this chaotic stage and are kind of like, wait a minute, why did nobody warn us? Um, But yeah, I think, I mean, each age, each decade, each stage has its own challenges and awesome moments so I think each of us just has to embrace what is unfolding in front of us at the time that it's unfolding so that's as much wisdom (laughs) as I can give about unfortunately that's a very very uh very true thank you so much Skylar for joining us it's been lovely meeting you uh and and having the opportunity to chat Thank you, Emma. It has been a delight and I'm really grateful to have spent this time with you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when the next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.